The scripture for today's sermon comes from 1 Corinthians 1, 1 through 9. The word of God speaks to us like this. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I will give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus, that in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of God to us. Well, good morning. My name is Chad. I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to dive into I get to dive into 1 Corinthians today. We're gonna open this book. We're gonna walk in it for a number of weeks. This is gonna be a a, a process for us where we're going to take our time and we're going to really try to look and see what's going on here. Let me get situated a little bit so it doesn't all fall over. Uh, but it, it really is an exciting thing. In fact, I, 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 I've read this a number of times and yet I found myself really overwhelmed as we've been preparing and looking at this of just being surprised again and again by all of it. Uh, one of the challenges that I feel today is just the overwhelming amount of content, the overwhelming amount of things that w I want to say about it. There's just, th this book spans so much in terms of, of scope and content, in terms of topics, in, in terms of just human being interaction is happening all over this place. And there's just so much, so there's so many things here that I would love to just dive in and like hear about this and hear about that and get excited to read and to, to lean in to this book with me. I, like, let me just give you an example. We would not know how to even gather as a church apart from the guidance that's in 1 Corinthians. Like there's real guidance. We wouldn't even know what that looked like. We'd just be making it up off the cuff if, if not for this. this. 1 Corinthians is a letter that is addressing brokenness. It's addressing brokenness again and again. And yet Paul is writing to them as a father. He's loving. He's caring. He's fighting for them every stretch of this, every bit of it, he's fighting for them, and he's trying to reach them in some way that they can understand. And so as we, as we introduce this letter to the people of Corinth, what we have in our, our Bible is this 1 Corinthians, a letter to the people of Yukon and beyond and stuff. What I, I feel a little bit like a conductor of a, of a symphony, so to speak, and I'm just standing there. And I, I, over the week, I just have seen like all the instruments I'd love to pick up and, and play and throw into this song. I'd love to throw in so much. And yet I also recognize that that would not sound any good. That wouldn't be helpful. It, it, there's a, a, a spot where you can kind of throw too many things into this. 
and I'm not very musically inclined. So that's just a part of it right there. But like, they, I recognized in this moment, like, there's a song here. And there, there's a rhythm here. There's a, there's a melody here. And we'll unpack this a little bit more as we go. But I want you to catch this as a metaphor and as a picture for just to help you give, have some handrails for where we're at in this story. Like, there, this is a big city, Corinth. And there's a, there's a, a, a rhythm and, and a beat to all cities. There's just a lot of noise and traffic and different things that are happening. And yet there's a contrast here. There's a, there's a song of the city and there's a song of Jesus that's being played here. And what we want to do is, is listen for the song of Jesus in the midst of what's going on in these people. The first nine verses of this this first nine verses of this letter do more than just bring greetings don't don't just wipe it away uh, as just flowery language at the beginning of a letter it sets a tone and it gives a melody it helps us kind of establish the rhythm and we want to just kind of find that rhythm that is happening in this letter and follow it along through every bit of it. The first nine verses of this really speak to the heart of the theology that Paul is unpacking in all of this. And what we want to do as we read through this over the weeks and we keep sitting in this is that we actually find ourselves just tapping our feet to the rhythm and the pace, the song of Jesus through all that. So I want to pray for you. I I want to pray for our time and that we would hear Jesus loud and clear. Because as we get here, I just kept coming back to it of like, this is not what I expected. This letter is not what I expected it to be. Though I've read it a million times, I guess, I'm guessing you've read it as well to some extent. You've, you're familiar with the aspects of this, but it's just not what I expected. And, and ultimately, I hope that we would come to this or come to a service and come to these things and keep saying like, this is not what I expected. It ultimately, to not just say, well, that was, that was a letter that had a lot more going on, but that we would get to the point where we say, this Jesus is not what I expected either. He's so much more. He's so much more. So I'll pray for you, you pray for me, and we'll dive in. Father, help us to hear your song today. Help us to hear. Help us to imagine. Help us to to see the city of Corinth before us and help us to see ourself in this story, but mostly see you in this letter. We pray you, we need your Holy Spirit to do that work in our lives. And we ask you to meet us today. It's in your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, as we walk through this, I want to highlight several contrasts. A uh, contrast between uh, Corinth and the way of Corinth and the way of Jesus. And just keep kind of listening for the rhythms of these places and what's going on in it. And the first one I want to contrast is just the difference between knowing stuff and real wisdom. This becomes a theme throughout the book. Uh, there are people that know a lot of things. They think they know a lot of things, and maybe they do, uh, but there's also this contrast between what real wisdom looks like. Real wisdom, and that will come up again. Uh, Corinth is a Greek city-state. Corinth is, is a place that was established and, and, and became this 
big, huge, massive city. And then at one point, Rome shows up and they have a problem in all of this. And Rome destroys this place. It basically sits fallow for a hundred years until Rome rebuilds it. And now you have this cultural mixing pot of all sorts of things, all sorts of things happening in this city. It, it has a reputation, right? And where you have a big city, you have a lot of things happening. Not all are savory. Not all are, are fantastic. This is the uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth spot, right? This is, this is a city full of temples and religions to everything, everything. This is a city that, uh, not unlike our own, is a big place. It, it is a big, just collection of all sorts of ideas, all sorts of thoughts. And when, by the time that Paul arrives, by, by the time that Paul arrives, it's reestablished. It's it's moving. It's a centerpiece of culture and commerce. There's so much happening in this city. It, it, just to give you an idea, it, apart from the Olympics, it hosts like the second largest sporting event in the world at this time. In any big city, any place you go, if you go to New York City, if you go to Tokyo, if you go to any place that you go to, there is just a noise to a city. The honking horns, the people, the traffic, just the buzz of a city. And there is a rhythm and a cadence to cities. And Corinth is no different. Corinth is no different. And the, what we've got to catch is that the people of Corinth, whether they're part of the church or not, were affected by their city in ways that they understood and in ways that skip the brain and go straight to the heart, in ways that just skip and go right to it. Think of all the times. Think of all the times in which you found yourself in a restaurant or wherever, and you were just kind of tapping your feet to whatever was happening in the background, and you didn't even know. Or you're just kind of kind of tapping along, and you're not even realizing it. You're not listening to the music. You're not thinking about that. And yet you just kind of find yourself kind of beating along with it and just kind of going with those things. That's what happens to us in the places where we find ourselves. We find ourselves absorbing kind of the rhythm and the pace of these places again and again and again. And it's an aspect of this, of this letter. It's an undercurrent of all of it. It's the background hum to this entire letter that we need to catch as we read through it. And so pick it up with me in the first three verses of this. We'll read it. It says this, Paul called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. Peace to you. You see, it's in this spot, in this cultural buzz, with this background humming around, that Paul writes this letter to these people. It was this song of Corinth in which they 
They worked and they worshiped, they ate and they played, that they raised their children and navigated the tricky spots of, uh, of shame and honor. They figured out how to go about life and try to make it and feel okay about themselves. It's in, it's in this place that Paul is writing. We've got to recognize that the church is in Corinth. Catch this. Corinth is also in the church. And the song of Corinth, the, the, the heartbeat of Corinth, the, all of those cultural things that are at play in Corinth is also in the church. It's a, it is something that happens, and, and yet it's right here in this mix of everything in which Paul, the spiritual father of this place, is instructing the Corinthians from the heart of their heavenly father. We, we, we want to see this here. He's calling them back into the way of Jesus, and he's reminding them of their true identity, not as Corinthians primarily, but formed by the ways of Jesus. They're new creations. That will come up in here. They're new creations. That the old is gone and the new has come. That the, whatever they were kind of beating to before, there's a new song to sing. There's a new way of going about it. Paul will talk about all sorts of things. He'll talk about money and gifts. He'll talk about conflicts and, and sex, marriage and meals. He's going to talk about all of it. But everything begins, every bit of this begins with what has already been done. Not by them, but for them. He starts it by saying, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints. And you see, this runs contrary to the classical Greek mindset of just know enough stuff. If we just fill this brain with enough knowledge, then we will act correctly. And what we find again and again through practice and through life and through interacting with human beings is just knowing the right thing does not necessarily mean you will do the right thing. We see this again and again. It's not just a Greek mindset, it's an American mindset. So often it's a church mindset. If we just have enough Bible studies, if we just have enough classes for you to go to, if we just have enough things for you to show up at and, and, and get enough information into your head, then we will stop sinning. And yet that is sadly not the case. There's a different song that we're being called to. There's a different way of living. And we've got to recognize that though we're not in Corinth, we are in Yukon, and the song of Yukon plays away in our life. And what we want to hear and learn to hear is this song of Jesus. We're called to move differently. We're called to evangelize our city even while our city is evangelizing us. They would, not, they would not use that language. The city would not do that. But we're being affected by everything that's around us. We're called, like them, to walk in the ways of Jesus. And bring his rhythm and song to this place, to this area. Not just this room, this area. And yet it's also affecting us more than we want. 
think about all the times. Think about this. I, I would guess it, this is each and every one of us to some degree or another. You don't have to be a huge music lover to have this, but you're in a place and you hear the, there's music going on in the background, whether you're listening or not, and then someone's like, hey, what's that song that we were talking about the other day? What's that? This happens a lot in our home. And so what's that song? And now you've got this beat that's over here, but you're trying to think of the rhythm of this other one. And it's like, I'm never going to get that right now. My brain's never going to be able to connect those dots because there's two different things at play, at work right here. And that's what's happening here in Corinth. By the time of this letter, by the time of this letter, this little church, this place, this church sounds more like its city than like its savior. The things that are described in this city sound far more like like what's happening around in Corinth than what is happening through Christ. But real wisdom, real wisdom is living out of the reality of God as the one who is already at work in us. The one who is already right there. He sets your boundaries. He gave you your gifts, your strengths, your talents, and, and capacities. And he is the one working in all of it, even right now. It's him. It's God who is at work in these things. You see, we, it, Acts 18 unpacks a little bit of this story. It unpacks about Paul and his time in Corinth. Paul is a tent maker in this town, and, and yet that's not, that's not his calling. It's his J-O-B. That's what's paying the bills right now. That's, that is what he's doing. But it's not his calling. And sometimes we confuse that. We think, we think well, I, I do this, and this is who I am. We talked about this a few weeks ago when we were talking about work. Go back to Rhythms of Grace and listen to work. You're more than that. Paul was not confused here. Paul knew what he was sent to each place for. Paul was there to call people to move and to march to a different drummer. To the song of Jesus that is playing. And that's the place where he finds himself in Corinth. This letter, this letter is intensely contextualized. That's a big word for meaning like it is speaking directly to the moment right here. Now, don't check out and think, well, it doesn't speak to us. There are spots that are quite literally strange. Like they're going to have a conversation in here around meeting or meeting, eating meat sacrificed to idols. That's probably not our everyday conversation that we need to have. That's probably not the everyday conversation. That is a contextualized thing that is happening to these people in Corinth. Uh, but it helps us to understand and unpack this. And yet there's also another thread that is running through this in which we keep coming up to spots in this letter in which it's like, Paul's directly responding to something. How did he, how did he know that? Why, what is he speaking to? 
They didn't, they're, they're not texting each other. They're, there's no, like, Reddit thread that he's working off of right here. No, they're apparently, and what scholars believe, is that there was a letter before this that we just don't have. We just simply don't have access to this. And Paul is writing largely a response to what was sent him. This is where we get spots around, like, hey, you know what? We love Apollos, and you're okay. Some people will follow this person. Some people follow that. Or, or there's another spot in which it's like, man, you're you're just not a very good speaker, Paul. We just don't like you. We don't think you're very smart. But remember, there's a difference. There's a difference that is being contrasted here between knowing stuff and real wisdom. That will be a thread through all of it. Knowing that there is a response here. Paul's writing a response to an area about specific issues helps us because we're going to stumble across as we walk through this all sorts of buck wild conversations because this place is really spiraling in a lot of ways. Just, let me give you an example of some of the challenges that are coming up in this little church. In 1 Corinthians 4, they're boasting in their spiritual superiority. They're like, we're the best. We've got this. Here's this church. This is 1 Corinthians 4. They're just boasting about all sorts of other things. Chapter 5, I just talked about 4, by how superior they feel. Chapter 5, they're celebrating a man's sexual relationship with his stepmother. In six, they're suing other. They're suing one another in the church over trivial things, tr over trivial arguments. By chapter seven, they're pursuing abstinence within marriage, or getting divorced to attain a higher spirituality. That's the thought process behind some of this stuff. They're having like all sorts of strange. Anomalies. You get in, again, they're justifying the use of prostitutes, maybe as a result from the previous issue. They're neglecting the poor, and catch this they're neglecting the poor and getting drunk at the Lord's Supper. This is the church that is right here going through it. And by the end of it, by chapter 15, they're denying the resurrection of the dead. And when I tell you that they sound more like their city than their savior, that's what I'm referring to. There is a lot of work to do in Corinth. Paul has a big job in front of him. But the essential work of grace is accomplished. And Paul writes from a posture of thanksgiving and hope and not fearful anxiety or coming with a big bat on his shoulder and saying, all of you are the pinata I'm coming after today. The second contrast I would, I would point to is the difference between doing and being. We can be really active people. We can, we can have a lot of stuff going on in our life while not actually being who we're called to be. And there's a ton of conversation in this letter around doing things, freedom and walking in certain ways. In light of the big issues that need to be dealt with, I want to draw your attention to where Paul goes next because it's shocking. Verse 4 says this. 
Again, Paul's got a long list that he needs to address with these people. A lot of things that he's going to respond to. Here's what he says. I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him. In all speech, in all knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Like, friends, there are all sorts of instruments playing in this little church in Corinth. Some are outside, some's outside noise. The priests, the philosophers, the, the thinkers and officials, the merchants and, and prostitutes, and just a big old population in this city making all sorts of weird choices. But some of those instruments are inside the church. And it's not always playing in harmony. There are leaders that are leading people astray. There's a division between the wealthy and the poor. I'm sure that there's some sort of subtext that's going on around them. I, I would guess in Corinth that there were podcasts talking about all the ways that Paul's failed them and different things and all the pain that he's caused. There's, there's certainly all sorts of chatter and factions and people deciding like, well, I think we're, we'll stay here, but we'll just kind of do our own thing. There's all sorts of ways that people act then and now in which is happening right here in this city. There's all sorts of things that Paul needs to address. But he doesn't start with the mess telling them what to do. He starts with what has already been done in them. He starts right there. Paul starts with the king and what the king has done. You see, this is a letter of imperatives. It's a letter of like, here are some things that we're supposed to be about there's a great deal of that. But everything in this letter, everything in this song of Jesus, this melody of Jesus is built on what has already been done. There's a lot to correct, but Paul starts with thanksgiving. He starts, man, I thank my God for this. I thank God for what he started and what he's going to finish in you. He starts with thanksgiving. That God in Christ has adopted these people, that God in Christ has forgiven them. He has cleansed them. He is working in their life, and he has called his people by a new name that they've already been set apart. They've already been there, that they need to start living from who they are and not just doing all sorts of crazy things. That they, and maybe you and I, need to become who you are in Christ. See, God has already acted. He's acted in Jesus to save them. Jesus atoned for all their sin. All of the righteousness of Jesus has been credited to them. He's the one who makes, who turns enemies into children. He's the one who brings them home and makes a way. God is acting. He is acting in Jesus, even in this moment, through this letter to these people, to sanctify them. It's for their good, to sanctify them. Everything that they need for depth, for beauty, and for flourishing is theirs already in Christ. It's already been started. 
It's not finished yet. Clearly, it's not finished yet. But the Corinthians have received the Spirit as God's pledge of peace. And then then they have the promise that God will act in Jesus to glorify them. That he who began this good work is faithful to see it to completion. You see, it's here. It's right here in that contrast between doing a lot of things and just being really super busy to, to actually recognizing who we are, the being piece in this. It's that gap. It's that glaring gap between the knowing stuff and real wisdom, the, the just doing stuff and living out of who we are. It's that gap that sounds to so many just like clinging symbols. It doesn't even sound like anything. And maybe that it sounds like this to you as well. I know there's times in my life. Living out of who we are, this being peace, this being peace, instead of, instead of just trying to do enough stuff and things to earn God, earn our place at the table with God is, is sometimes not a song that I hear. I'm, I'm, conditioned, I'm, I'm conditioned to these other ways. And it might, it might sum up Yukon as well, that we find ourselves just kind of endlessly trying to earn God's approval, endlessly trying to get after pleasing God and, and making ourselves clean. And then we start kind of speeding up and those beats per minute pick up. And then we start finding ourselves like, why am I anxious and tired? And why am I exhausted and not keeping up? And why do I not feel any joy? Because we find ourselves being sucked in to the rhythm and the melody everything around us every bit of it around us it's in those moments in which god seems so small and our problems our fears our anxieties seem so big and they seem overwhelming and it would be easy right here as we look at first corinthians to be like they have really big overwhelming problems and yet paul Starts with, I thank God for you. I thank God for you. Which leads me to the the final difference I want to highlight. The difference between uh, the end, a fixation on the end, or a fixation on the now. This comes up again and again in a book. So so as we think about uh, just the, the contrast between knowing stuff and real wisdom, the contrast between just doing a ton of stuff and the, the contrast between being in Christ, this who he's made us to be, and now the contrast between the end as preeminent and the now as all I see right before me. That comes up again and again in this letter. We see it. It's one of the big debates that's happening within this church of like, yeah, I don't know if there's even a resurrection anymore. They're starting to argue that. And Paul will address it. And if there's no resurrection, then Christ isn't raised from the dead and we have no hope. He's like, well, so it, like there are people arguing about it. Everything's now. Everything's right here in this place. Heaven is here in this moment. And some argued that there were gifts that were made you more spiritual than other gifts. There were people arguing like, well, we're better off because of this. But I want you to recognize Jesus, Jesus is the centerpiece of every bit of it. Paul doesn't go back to, well, this group's right and this group's wrong. No, he goes back to Jesus And nine times in these opening nine verses, 
He names Jesus Christ. Jesus is the end of this story. And Jesus is the hope for our now. And Jesus is the one who ties every bit of this together. He is our hope. Paul doesn't pit the end away from the now. He's actually pointing us to Jesus, who is the one who will be the centerpiece of every bit of it. Pick it up in verse 6 with me. And listen for this song. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you. Now, friends, here, there's so much, there's so much present tense language in this. There's past tense language. There's, there's future language that's happening right here. We start to hear it. Even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not, you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ who will sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ, God is faithful, by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Friends, we need 1 Corinthians because our lives are super messy. We are are led by all the different songs that we hear around us. We need to see Jesus as the hope. We need to remember that there is a great day coming, that Jesus will return, that Jesus will hold us accountable for how we've lived, and and there is a now that we're called to be present in and to live out this hope to live out this reality of new creatures, of having a new heart, a new name, new people in this. It's what connects every bit of it. And Paul doesn't open this letter with a response to them in the way that they should live. Instead, he takes what, what seems like every major issue that they're dealing with. It seems like he is addressing, even in these nine verses, every crazy thing that they're dealing with. And he points it right back to praise in our great God. They were making a mockery of grace. And yet in verse 4, he says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace that was given you. They were puffed up. They were prideful uh, with worldly wisdom and knowledge. And yet in verse 5, he says, in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. It, it was questionable whether it, the gospel was actually taking root in their lives. It was like, man, we would have some serious conversation right here. Do you even believe anything that is being said right here? And yet in verse 6, he says, the testimony of Christ was confirmed among you. They misused and abused every spiritual gift. They were beating each other up with spiritual gifts. And yet he says, you are not lacking. In verse 7, he says, you're not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. And they were drifting. They were, they were drifting into sinful immorality of every kind. 
They were inventing ways to sin. And yet in verse 8, he says, he will sustain you to the end. He'll sustain you to the end. Guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Catch this, Paul doesn't excuse their sin. He doesn't excuse their sin. No, he sees a big God. He sees a big God at work. A big God who's not done with him. And a big God who's not done with the people in Corinth. And he points them right to it. Notice how he ends in verse 9. God is faithful. By whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And maybe that's what you need to hear today. And maybe you would identify and say, like, I feel like I'd fit in neatly in Corinth because my life is a mess. Maybe what you need to hear this morning is that there is a big God who is faithful who has began a work in your life and he's not done with it. He's not done with it. He's faithful to see it to the end and he will work in your life. Will you pray with me?